Tuesday, July 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro, Jeff Fisher, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Maker. Guys, good to see you. Hey, Chris. Morning. It's my it's my mom's birthday today. Aww, I'm just going to throw that. Happy birthday, Mom. Yeah. She, she doesn't listen to the podcast, but, you know. It doesn't She'll mean, have to today. No, nah, no. Nah, she doesn't uh. have to. Um, <laughs> she we, doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> exactly. That's true. Just have some cake. She's at that age. You know, when you're 82, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Um, we've got Alcoa. We've got Mako Surgical. We've got a big deal with Campbell's Soup. But we're going to start with Alcoa because Alcoa kicked off earnings season after the market closed on Monday. And Joe Mager, earnings earnings per share, 81% lower than a year ago. Um, I'm not an expert in the steel industry, but boy, that sounds like a really bad number. Yeah, that's a big change in percentage terms. A big thing to remember with these cyclical companies like Alcoa is they have really high fixed costs, and so earnings are really sensitive to changes in revenue. So that's always going to be a going concern with companies like this. You're never going to see an ArcelorMittal or Mittal, you know, or, a, or an Alcoa changing earnings in some low single-digit fashion every year. It's always going to be a big change. And so investors shouldn't be too shocked when you see headlines like that. And that's why the stock's only moving low single digits. Is this a bellwether type of stock? Because it seems, Jeff, like Alcoa is in the kind of, you know, they're in the, you know, the, the metals business writ mm-hmm. large. It seems like they're one of those companies that would actually be a bellwether in terms of the general economy. Is that fair or, or am I way off? They they are viewed that way, Chris, and that's why they, they do kind of kick off every earnings season. It's not just the double A ticker. I was going to say, it's, like the, the, it's like, also the ticker symbol. <laughs> it's alphabetical. But they, they're integral in uh, automobiles, cans, beverages, food packaging, construction, buildings. So, yeah, they're, they're certainly a bellwether. What's interesting is – their earnings are expected to decline 40% this year over compared to last year. A big part of that is due to pricing, aluminum pricing, pricing falling. And it's, it's not the company we would love to buy because they don't have any pricing power whatsoever. They're at the whims of demand and supply. And, and when demand is soft, pricing will go down, and that hits their earnings because, as Joe said, their costs are fixed. Uh, but uh, what's interesting is they are still expecting – Based on what they follow, GDP around the world to grow in low single digits this year. They expect auto sales to go up 4 to 8% this year with about 12% growth in North America. They expect Europe auto sales to be down 6 7%, pretty bad, and China to be up 2 to 7%. So other industries as well, what they're seeing is continued growth in North America, a mess in Europe, big negative numbers, and China slowing down. So in that sense, across all industries – they are a bellwether, and that's what they're seeing. It seems like w- the narrative you just laid out is the narrative we could hear from a company like, you know, Caterpillar or, or you know, 3M. Pretty much any major global just, player is going to be talking along those lines for a while. I mean, GM is, you know, exactly along those lines themselves, doing very well in North America, doing extremely well in China. And the European business is just floundering with no real clear turnaround in sight. And I think, you know, you're just going to keep seeing that story over and over this earnings season. Yeah. And so this is the first quarter in 10 where earnings for the S&P 500 is expected to be negative compared to last year. So we've had 10 quarters of growth since late 2009. And this is the first one where growth is not expected to happen, a dip of 1% or so for the S&P. We'll just make it up on iPhones. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the the thing to remember is that, that may not matter that much. Soft patches like this are common in any bull market or any 
any GDP expansion around the world, you'll have some negative quarters. It doesn't mean it's the end of the of, of the growth. Right. And the time to buy cyclicals like Alcoa is when demand is soft and earnings are low. Obviously, you don't want to be buying after the stock's already run up. So, you know, I think Alcoa could be interesting if you're looking at a five-year time horizon, which you should. So, Alcoa officially kicks off earnings season. And we were talking before we started taping. So far, 94 companies have lowered estimates for this earnings season, and only 26 have raised estimates. Going along those lines, Joe, should investors just sort of, as we head into this earnings season, it just seems like investors should essentially either brace themselves. Pack it in, well, go not, home. Not pack it in and go home, <laughs> but either brace themselves for probably not a great quarter from your given company, or to your point, start looking for opportunities among stocks that maybe are going to go on sale whether they want to or not. Yeah, I think a lot of stocks are already priced as a re- as if a recession is a sure thing, and it's not a sure thing. And a recession doesn't touch all companies equally. And because of that, I think if you're you know patient and you're a bit of a digger, you can go out there and find some companies that should do well over a long time horizon and won't get tagged by a recession as badly as you might think. And again, it's not a sure thing. So if you're just patient and you kind of play those odds, they should work well. Shares of Mako Surgical fell as much as 41% this morning after the company cut its sales forecast for the Rio robotic arm orthopedic system for the second time in two months. Jeff Fisher, what do you think? Obviously a bad day for Mako Surgical and its shareholders. First of all, would you rather have surgery from a a machine called a Da Vinci robot (laughs) or a Mako plasty surgery, a Mako shark is what I... What do you want ripping into you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll the, take the, the Da Vinci, please. I was going to say the 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 people at Intuitive Surgical, if nothing else, they sure know how to name their surgical robots. I think so. a hot butter knife would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> so Mako Surgical has uh, they sell a Makoplasty knee uh, robot and Makoplasty hip procedure that you add on to it, and they're not selling enough units to make money. They're they're losing money still. This is a rule breaker company, and uh, we must pick up one or two new listeners a month, I assume. <laughs> yeah, at least amongst so, our dozen. So for that, for that man or woman, rule breakers are companies that are breaking the rules in an industry, trying to find a new way of doing business. Yep. Very early ones, or, or long ago, ten years ago, were uh, Amazon and eBay were great rule breakers. So the hope is that Mako is a rule breaker that will change how doctors perform knee and hip surgeries. The problem is they lose money on every machine they sell. The typical machine is about $850,000. But because the sales force is so expensive and you need a large installed machine base before you'll start making money. Right. So right now they're in the, we're still losing money on each machine we sell. Uh, So they haven't sold enough uh, to become profitable. They sold fewer than expected this quarter and they're blaming uh, slow sales cycle. Which, yeah, and I mean to your point about you know how expensive these machines are, and when we talk about Lauren, just to put specific numbers on that, they had previously said we're going to sell between fifty-two and fifty-eight of these machines, and now they've just come out and said actually we're going to lower that to forty-two to forty-eight. So we're not talking about a huge number of machines, but when you look at the price tag, it, it starts to add up to meaningful money. It does, and when you're you're losing money, they they had as of last quarter, not this most recent one. We haven't seen these numbers yet, but as of March, they had forty-five million in cash, and they lost thirty-six million that quarter. Oof. So they're running low on cash. This almost surely. 
uh, indicates they're going to need to raise some more cash this year by selling shares or some sort of debt. And the hope was earlier that they would really exceed expectations, sell more machines than expected, and become profitable in time. Yeah, ironically, they should have been selling their stock when it was at around 45, and it's down about two-thirds now. And stock has just been absolutely crushed. And, you know, it's down 40% today. And if you had to cut to a reason, it's that the stock was selling at about 11 times sales. The S&P 500 is one-tenth of that. And when your stock is valued that highly, anytime you have a misstep, it's going to get punched in the face. And when you have a couple in a row like they've had, you know, you're going to get chopped at the knees. And it's just a very tough result. And it's a risk of investing in super high growth, super expensive stuff. Boy, punched in the face and chopped at the knees. You're, yeah. you're, you're really going to need a surgical robot after yeah. that. Concussions and, next. And it, its shares were $7 in 2009. So they're still about double from that. But what happens with rule breakers a lot of times is people price in these great expectations. So they got far ahead of themselves, uh, as Joe just said, far ahead of itself at, at 40. But I have a new philosophy on rule breakers, which is they are not overvalued until they are. And <laughs> what I mean by that is well, go on. <laughs> what I mean is investors see the potential in these groundbreaking companies and they're willing to bid it up on the on the hopes that it works out as everyone hopes or even better. If that potential proves out like it did with Amazon or eBay, the stock is not going to look back. It's going to keep going higher. So these early speculators, they were right. It wasn't overvalued per se. But uh but if it's pets.com, it's a <laughs> if the expectations story. are not met uh, or exceeded, then yeah, you're you're bound to lose seventy, eighty percent. Let's put the surgical robots aside for a second, and let's focus on the management uh, because anyone can cut their earnings estimate. Any company can come out and say, "Well, we think we're going to make less money." When you do it two times in two months, doesn't that start to raise questions about the credibility of the management, Joe? Yeah, it makes you wonder how good a grasp they have on their own business. And when you read through the earnings release or the guidance that they put out, when I looked at it, I didn't get the sense that they were going to hit that number either based on the number they've sold this year and the target that they have for the full year. So there's a good chance they could get cut again. And in that case, the stock would get drubbed. Um, you know, For what it's worth, I don't think this is a rudderless ship. I do think there's a real business here with a solid, attractive model. And you know, this stock could get taken out at about a billion dollars, the business. Um, it'd be a great little tuck-in acquisition for someone like Stryker that focuses on knees, has a great sales force and distribution, and has deep pockets and wants to make acquisitions. So I don't think this story is over with by any means. Yeah, and like Intuitive Surgical, it is a razor, razor blade model. They sell these machines for close to a million dollars, and then they get $5,000 more or less on every procedure. And procedures have gone up. They went up some 65% this quarter. And that's, uh, those are implants that they're being paid for, the actual surgical implant. But what they said, and why Joe may be right, they may still come up shy. In the conference call, they said that with, with a growing number of potential sales, the, the hospital is finding they need a larger number of surgeons to justify the costs of, of, the, of the machines. So hospitals are looking at their return on investment yeah. and having a harder time justifying this purchase, and that's why purchases are, are, are being pushed back. Uh, Joe, uh, I have to ask, because you're the value guy in the room, stock gets hit to the tune of 40%. Is it is it a value play um, for individuals? You talked about it being a possible takeout, takeout. candidate. 
or is it still too rich? Well, it's still expensive by any conventional measure, but I do think it's interesting, and I might actually break down and do a model on it because what Jeff was talking about on procedure growth is really a key number there. And you're not just looking at the number of systems they're selling, but how many procedures they're doing per system. And that kind of shows the value hospitals are getting out of it. So you do have some levers you can play with on evaluation. I do think it's worth looking more into. Jeff, what do you think? Yeah, they don't have a large enough installed base yet to to make the money that you want to see them earn. But once they do, then it should could be a very attractive business. Uh, Campbell's Soup is getting healthy, sort of. Uh, the world's biggest soup maker is buying Bolthouse Farms for $1.5 billion. Bolthouse Farms produces baby carrots, premium juices, and salad dressings. Joe Maker, what do you think? Good move for Campbell's Soup? Yeah, I think so. I think moving out of the core soup business is a good one for these guys. You know, We've talked a lot on the show about distribution and the value of that, and Campbell's has that in spades. I don't want to say they're everywhere, but they have a long reach. And because of that, they can make these small acquisitions and go out and you know get products in more stores and make a little more money out of it than someone else would. So you know these little pickups are a nice fit. If I were them, I would keep them small, but that's what they've been doing, and it's been a decent enough strategy. Uh, Morgan Stanley had put out a report last spring, and by last spring, I mean spring 2011, um, about, uh, and I swear this is true, soup consumption trends. Um, And shocker, uh, old people like soup and consume more soup than young people. And, you know, the report went into some detail about uh, people under the age of, you know, 25 or so just really not consuming a lot of soup. Is that I, I don't know. I, on the one hand, I think, well, that's you know, that's bad if 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 that trend continues. On the other hand, Jeff, as we get older, as we get healthier, and people live longer, maybe that isn't so bad for a company like Campbell's Soup. Well, when you're in your 20s and you can drink monster beverage, who needs who needs soup? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who needs healthy soup? But I, I lost. I, I I started to question Campbell's Soup in 2007 when they sold Godiva chocolates for uh, 850 million. I'm like, how how can you God, sell this what a chocolate? chump sale. But but to to their credit, I mean obviously it was a good a good sale. It was a good acquisition too, but in 1967 when they bought it. But when they sold it, they said they're they're increasingly focused on offering a healthy lifestyle. Healthy foods and mm-hmm. chocolate didn't fit in with that image, so they got rid of it. And now today's acquisition fits right in with that image very well. So um, I like the acquisition. I don't remember your original question, Chris, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was a good one. No, no, just about the whole notion of trends. Like, is that? Yeah, I think it's a good. I think they're on the money with that trend. Yeah, I recommended this stock to IV members three or four years ago, and it worked out pretty well. We sold it uh, and it beat the market in an up market, which was nice. But I went back and looked at my original report before the show, and in there, I'd mentioned that Campbell said the long-term increase in the U.S. soup market was 1% to 2% a year. So when this came up, I was like, oh, well, it's been growing. But I was curious and went back and looked at this year's annual report, and I didn't see any references to that, which makes me think that yeah, maybe the one to two percent may <laughs> didn't not really work out. Yeah, well, I mean, there's just a lot more competition for quick, easy food. You know, you throw a hot pocket in the microwave now, and <laughs> I mean, that's terrible for you. But a lot of people are doing it, and you just have a lot more options, do you? Well, Joe, if you recommended Campbell's Soup for IV members all those years ago, I'm sure you're going to do great on the Campbell's Soup quiz that our producer uh, Matt Greer <laughs> oh, has prepared. I walked right into that. Uh, which of the following is not a Campbell's Soup flavor? A, chili cheese dog. B, Disney princess. C, Fiesta nacho cheese. 
Jeff Fisher, I'll go to you first. I do not recall a Campbell Disney partnership of any kind, so I'll say Disney Princess. Jeff? Or, or Joe? Chili Cheese Dog. Joe Mager nails it. Chili Ooh, che- see, see, Mac good, and I were good. talking. If, if you, uh, you know, Jeff, if you had a daughter instead of a son, you would know about the the Disney princess. Some movie tie Campbell's in there, of, soup, and uh, I don't know. Disney's huh. just—they're everywhere. Yeah, they're just those princesses are everywhere. <laughs> uh, Campbell's Soup was founded in 1869, but did not adopt its iconic red and white color scheme until 1898. What was the inspiration behind Campbell's cherry red and bright white colors? A, they were the colors used by William Jennings Bryan in his presidential campaign in 1896. That was a good campaign. It was a darn good campaign. (laughs) Uh, B, founder Joseph Campbell was colorblind, and red and white were the only two colors he could recognize. (laughs) (laughs) Max totally made that one up. Or C, they were the colors of Cornell University's football uniforms. Jeff, what do you think? Ooh, knowing men were at the helm, I'm going with C. Yeah, me too. Uh, good call. Uh, in 1898, uh, Herbert Williams, or Herberton Williams, uh, Campbell's executive, convinced the company to adopt the colors because he was taken by the crisp colors of the Cornell University football team uniforms. Uh, and finally, Campbell's best-known slogan is, mm good. Which of the following has not been a Campbell's slogan? A, it's amazing what soup can do. B, possibilities. Or C, dependable as sunshine. Oh, Jeff, what do you think? All of the above. (laughs) Ooh, I'll have to say B. B, possibilities. Joe, what do you think? The last one sounds a little bit like an adult diaper brand. It does. I'm going to go with possibilities, though. Uh, you're both wrong. Dependable as sunshine was, oh. was never used. It was, Did however, Matt just make that up? No. It was, however, <laughs> used by Coca-Cola as a slogan in 1953, dependable as sunshine. It doesn't work if yeah. you live in, in Seattle. Seattle. <laughs> yeah. uh, we will end there. Jeff Fisher, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.